Welcome to this podcast, which was recorded at the Australian Farm Institute's Roundtable on valuing agriculture's natural capital in October 2019. I'm Richard Heath, Executive Director of the AFI. The Roundtable interrogated opportunities to build natural capital in the ag sector and asked what support is needed to progress the implementation of ecosystem services in an Australian landscape. The three Roundtable sessions offered different insights into these topics. We hope you find value in these recordings of the speakers' presentations. speaker is Dr. Stuart Whitten from CSIRO Land and Water. Stuart is an internationally recognised expert. All of our speakers today are internationally recognised experts in their field. As Stuart in the design of environmental markets across Australia. His recent research explores the links between natural capital and grazing productivity. Please welcome Stuart. Good afternoon everybody. Thanks for the opportunity today. Uh, before I start, I'd just like to thank, uh, sorry, recognise the animal people, uh, elders past, present and emerging. I want to start by talking, just revisiting why we're interested in markets. Generally, economists, uh, and I should probably point out I'm a member of the card-carrying economic community, so that means you'll get one graph and one equation in my presentation, otherwise they kick me out. There's four reasons we're basically interested in markets. They incentivise people to change their behaviours. If we design them right, they give flexibility in how they change their behaviours. They encourage change more cheaply by basically selecting those who can achieve what you want more cheaply. And in combination, if you get it right, you get innovation. So that's that ongoing change into the future, that opportunity to continually improve and get a better outcome for less resources further into the future. And that's why economists talk about these gains from trade if you get them right. On the flip side of that, of course, if you get them wrong, you incentivise the wrong behaviour, the wrong behavioural responses, perverse outcomes, and sometimes you can even pay a lot and not get anything. So it, it's important to think about how you design markets. When we think about natural capital or ecosystem services and agricultural enterprises, there's a, a messy space going on here from a few dimensions. Maintaining those assets on farms is absolutely critical to production today and tomorrow up to a certain point. After that, it becomes neutral and then eventually it may become costly in the sense that it impacts adversely on the ability to produce goods and services that they can be sold in the market. And people think about those spaces differently, so it's, it's, it's important to unpack that in some way. That said, th these aren't necessarily normal markets in the way that, say, you produce widgets out of a factory. You produce one widget, you change your machines, you produce another widget. We're producing various widgets together. They're, they're mixed together in a way that you can't actually pull to pieces. You can't actually separate them out and say, I'm not going to produce that anymore. And finally, we shouldn't assume that markets are a panacea in, in any way, shape or form. And although I'm going to talk about market design and illustrate the success, society has a bunch of different ways that we get the things we want. And we don't always use markets and there's very good reasons for that. So we've always got to ask ourselves, you know, what does that mean in this context? Those of you who've been around for a while will recognise the shape of this particular little figure because we used to talk about this in the good old days that Andrew referred to uh, about market-based instruments. And we just used to talk about different ways of government buying things mostly then. But what we're starting to see now in this space is a bunch of new emerging opportunities that move beyond governments. So we're seeing private sector finance flow into carbon and to some extent into biodiversity. We're seeing the emergence of these green bonds and, and finance type mechanisms that help incentivise natural capital and, and, and pro-environmental behaviours. Of course, we're still seeing some of the old stuff around appliance labelling, 
premium products and so on as well. What these tell you is there's a bunch of different market forms out there. So there's the sort of tenders that we talked about earlier are essentially what we call monopsonies, a single buyer and lots of sellers. But markets, of course, are in lots of different forms if you go out into the real world. Sometimes we see monopsonists, like uh, we talked about before. Sometimes we see monopolists, where we've got only one seller, probably unlikely in a natural capital space. And we see various combinations of what we call multi-sided markets, sometimes through single trading houses, sometimes in, in ostensibly parallel trades. And thinking about how that market might come into being, how it might function in the future, it's, it's quite important to how you might go about designing it. What we end up with is, I guess, some tension across three interlinked domains when we're designing markets. We have this sort of state or rule designing domain. We have our, our participants and the supply side. And we have this sort of this market structure. You can also include buyers there. And we get these tensions between privacy and surveillance, data rights and data profits, regulation and freedom to operate across those. And what I want to talk about in the remainder of my 10 minutes, which is now five, is three areas quickly. Making natural capital fungible, delivering transparency and market support. I should point out more broadly that, that this can only really exist within broader societal expectations so when we think about these markets, it's important to work out what we're buying and selling. What sort of jam are we making here? And what's the recipe? Economists talk about fungibility. Now, fungibility is a lovely word. We like fancy words, economists, like all professions. But the key point here is it's making something that is rather intangible into a commodity that you can buy and sell. Okay? We did this carbon. We said, okay, we've got CO2, we've got methane, we've got nitrous dioxide. Okay, let's get out. We get an exchange rate between each one. Suddenly we've got these these units that we can trade, and that's made it fungible. And we need to do that for other commodities as well. We need to think about how we measure these. How do we measure it? Now, this is an example from the biodiversity offset space. All of these different metric forms, I'll quiz you later, you've got to really quit, read them really quickly, they're all in use, and they're all different. And the key point here is that they all have a different implication for the market. Okay? If we're looking at strict like for like, we're getting really exactly the same thing here. So the US, for example, have these sage grouse credits. One sage grouse knocked off over here by development, breed another one over here and show me that it's here and live and well. Very strict like for like. Quality adjusted is what most of us would be broadly familiar with if we know anything about offsets. These are these complicated metrics. You go out and measure a bunch of different attributes. Uh, this one's a bit worse quality, this one's a bit better quality, I've got a bit more of this, a bit less of that. Okay, that's equal. Like, that's what the formula tells you. They're pretty handy because you can measure, you know, I get 100 credits, sell 20 here, 30 there, another 50 over here. This last form, though, they're, they're at least once. And what that says is they're once-off trades. Nothing left over. I don't really expect to have a market where I have lots of different buyers. It's just one transaction. And they're handy because there's no leftovers. There's nothing hanging around out here to confuse someone later on. And you cut a couple of corners to get there, but as long as you're more or less happy that you've got at least the value, you, you get it overall. You can use all of these different ones, but you've got to think about which one you need for your market. Transparency. So natural capital is not quite like some of the other things, these, these public good type markets. There can be perverse incentives emerge in these where it's useful for both the buyer and seller to pretend that they got the outcome they wanted and the public to be left out here thinking that it all went very well. So it's, it's often important in these settings to think about 
what's the value of transparency? What's the value to the wider community of knowing what's going on as well as the participants directly in the market? Moving from fungibility to exchange, because these markets are new and emerging, they often need a bit of help to get going. Transaction costs can be very high in early phases. There's a number of different formats you can use to support these markets. What's the role of government? One of the things we've thought about a lot when we're working on biodiversity tender design is how do you engage with landholders and ease their way in? If this is a market that's completely incompatible or unfamiliar to a landholder, they're unlikely to be interested, unless you've got a huge pot of gold there. What's on offer? You know, communicating these things clearly about what's the transaction opportunity here. Finding ways of easing them in. A number of people have talked about the complexity and the difficulty of actually getting into the carbon market. Is there a role for government? Well, governments can be help or hindrance, as everyone knows. Now, governments might just need to kick start the market, you know, provide that little bit of injector in the start to get it going. They can reduce the transaction costs in some setting, they can help pilot some of the new frameworks and so on, and they can generate the scale that's really difficult for individual players to start with. And we're starting to see some of these blended finance type approaches in natural capital markets overseas and, and, and also uh, in some of the emerging ones in Australia where governments provide part of the finance. If it's a bundled good, they might say, we're going to buy the biodiversity here, but you guys buy the, the carbon you want over here. Or they might say, we're going to guarantee the risk in this particular market for the first 10 years. Anything, anything that goes sour, providing you go along these rules, we'll cover the cost of that. There's a whole bunch of options out there when we think about how these markets might come together. Now, some of these are just going to be organic. They're just going to be doers out there doing them. Nevertheless, all of them are going to be thinking along these same sorts of themes, managing transaction costs to themselves and to others. They're going to be thinking about how does this new digital technology environment influence what I can do in this market. And this is a big shift over the last 10 years. What we can do now with digital technology compared to 10 years ago, it's, it's really a game changer in transaction cost space. And finally, don't underestimate trust. Trust is a critical lubricant in these markets. No one comes into this space without some trust that they're going to be treated well. That goes for both sides, but particularly though, farmers need to be able to be in an environment where they can place some trust that they're going to you know, not get ripped off, that it's going to be worth their effort. And trust results from inclusive engagement, transparency, and from follow through on, on the commitment. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this recording from the Australian Farm Institute's Roundtable. Make sure you seek out others in this series and visit farminstitute.org.au for the accompanying slides or more information about our work. <laughs>